Hello, and welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. Most of us have heard of sports-related brain injuries in adolescence, but keeping our children out of sports or PE isn't a sensible way to keep them free from harm. How to keep them safe is our topic for this episode. Dr. Christina Sanders, Associate Professor in the School of Medicine's Department of Neurology and a Pediatric Rehabilitation Medicine and Brain Injury Medicine Physician, goes over the different types of injuries, symptoms, treatments, and long-term effects of letting it go untreated. She also gives us the basics on what we can do if someone hurts their head or if we suspect someone might have a brain injury. Dr. Sanders, welcome to our podcast. It's nice to have you. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center? Yes, ma'am. My name is Christina Sanders. I am a pediatric rehabilitation medicine specialist, which means I'm trained specifically in the treatment of children as well as brain injury medicine. I am new faculty to the university, and I work in the Division of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Well, welcome to TTUHSC. Thanks. What are the different kinds or causes of head and brain injuries in adolescents other than the ones that we might be most familiar with, like contact sports or being hit by a car or falling off a bike or skateboard, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we tend to classify head injuries into two different categories, one being open and one being closed. So if you'll forgive me, sometimes for a physician, brain injury is something different than head injury. So for example, if you have a skull fracture, you know, medically that would be seen as a head injury, but you may or may not have a brain injury in the same respect. So in terms of, of the most common head injuries, a lot of times in adolescence that involves something that involves a direct trauma or force. So the ones that you talked about, contact sports, being hit by a car, falling off a bike skateboard, those things are really prevalent within society and continue to be prevalent. One of the things that has been interesting to me as a provider is I am seeing more injuries that are related to what I would describe as risk-taking behavior, maybe some things that I hadn't thought of when I was younger. So not only riding a skateboard, but riding a skateboard that's being pulled by a car. Or what one of my younger patients described to me as car surfing. So standing in the back of the bed of a pickup or even on the cab and having that vehicle initiate motion and continue to do so. So one of the difficult things with head injuries, it truly is whether or not individuals are helmeted or unhelmeted. And so I see a lot of direct trauma to the head and brain related to what I would describe as some preventable incidents. The other difficulty, unfortunately, is we are seeing a lot 
of adolescent injury due to gun violence. And this isn't necessarily that there's a specific individual at fault or that there is a reckless behavior, but there is a a lot of gun safety parameters that are not followed by teenagers. And these experiences are often involved with a gun that is not properly stored, a little bit of alcohol and some friends and a high level of curiosity, if you will. So that is something that we see as medical providers that differs from more of a pediatric population where you are going to see falls or you are going to see more of an accidental setting in terms of, uh, you know, I, I didn't have an intention moving forward in that way to do something. What are the signs and symptoms of an injury and how is it diagnosed? So one of the things that can be really important in terms of brain injury is evaluating the eyes, looking at the symmetry of the face. When there is impact to the skull that results in a head injury, that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be impact to the brain. It is the brain in medicine that we are worried about because the brain does navigate the rest of our body, not just in that moment for the rest of our life. So this is something that all physicians tend to pay attention to. The brain is designed to take visual input from the eyes and for lack of a better word, conjugate that together. So if you've ever had that scenario where you cover one eye and look directly at an object and then cover the other eye, you will see that your visual field will shift. And it's the brain's responsibility to take the two interpreted images from the eye and bring them together as one. And that is what we see each day as human beings. So when you have an injury to the brain, whether global, affecting the whole brain, or or focal, you can see that in the visual input from the eyes because the brain can't put those images together. So if you come upon someone that you feel may have an injury or you hear a story uh, of a sibling or child that may have an injury, you're going to want them to look at you. You're going to want to see if they can maintain eye contact, if they can maintain focus and attention. If there is significant distraction in that way, you're even going to want to see if they can just know you're there, if they can open their eyes. And that will be your very first assessment as to whether or not you need to seek medical care. Are they breathing? Are they able to wake up? These are things just inherently at human, as human beings that, that we want to be happening. What does then a treatment consist of? And are there any long-term effects if it goes untreated? Yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> um, so with an injury to the brain, the treatment will depend on the level of injury and the area of the brain that was injured. One of the things that can be important is identifying if there is an injury to the brain, what physicians describe as deficits or or lacking areas in response that we would see. So if you have an object that hits you on the head and a specific part of your brain is affected, you may require some intervention to assist in that specific area. 
The brain is a pretty fascinating part of the body in that it will do two things when it's injured. It will try and repair the injured area, but it will also reassign those responsibilities to a different part of the brain. So the treatment moving forward really depends on the injury that has occurred. That can be anything from rest, uh, a little bit of medicine, to a graduated return to sports, to, to even hospitalization and interventional management or procedural management if needed. And because we are talking about adolescence, what are the challenges of returning to sports or to social life or to school after an injury? There can be quite a few challenges, and this is largely based on the ability of that individual prior to when they were injured, and then again, the type of injury. So the healthier your brain is before it is injured, the better your outcome after it is injured. Uh, it is very important that you eat healthy, that you drink water, that you participate in school, that you achieve your best grades possible, because that will have an impact on your brain's ability to recover. That being said, one of the classifications of brain injury, and there are a few, which may be for another time, but one of the classifications is into a severity category of mild, moderate, and severe. And some individuals in medicine and outside of medicine have a preconceived notion that the mild deficits associated with brain injury may not be as impactful as the severe deficits. And what we're finding in the realm of brain injury is that those effects can be impactful in a different way. So for an individual that has a direct brain injury where there is bleeding that is observed or some type of brain picture where you can see what is going wrong, like a CT or an MRI. There are other individuals in a mild brain injury category that may have no evidence of bleeding or deficit that, that you can visually see on imaging that still have significant difficulty in a return to society and return to school. And the most common place that we see this, not only in medicine, but outside of medicine, is for example with sports. So athletes that talk about having a concussion or having their bell rung and when to return to play, those are all things that are now reclassified as mild traumatic brain injury. But it doesn't mean that those symptoms can't be severe for that individual. So in returning from brain injury, many individuals can experience headaches, they can experience significant fatigue, and significant irritability. And depending on the age of the individual, for example, if you have a sixth grade who goes to junior high and they return from a brain injury to the school cafeteria, that can have an effect on if they're more irritable, if they have a headache, uh, and that integration back into their regular environment or their, their predicted scheduled environment is up to interpretation. And that's something that it, you know, is a combination of the patient, the family, and the provider at that time. So how can we prevent injuries? Magic. <laughs> Completely magic. Prayer and magic. 
One of the best ways to prevent head injuries is to make safe and informed decisions, which we know in adolescence is when your brain is developing. So the power of possibility, the power of suggestion is very real. Wear a seatbelt, wear a helmet specific to your sport. An example, a bicycle helmet does not have the same pressure point distribution as a football helmet that does not have the same pressure point distribution as a helmet for equestrian events. Even though it seems like a chore for parents, at least this parent, finding the right fit for the bicycle helmet, make sure it's still fitting, it fits properly, motorcycle helmets, bicycle helmets in, in terms of dirt bike, all those areas of recreation best benefit from helmet use. There are a lot of things in medicine that we can replace. We can probably get you a new liver. We can put your pelvis back together. Sometimes we even get a heart, but brains are not replaceable in the same way. And an injured brain, even in recovery, if injured again, will have more difficulty in returned recovery. So it does sound very cliche, but prevention is sometimes the best medicine. Also in society as a whole, especially in adults and adolescents, 50% of brain injuries involve alcohol use. So when you choose to imbibe in a specific beverage, that is not the time to be making life-altering decisions. So we very much encourage people as physicians to have a designated driver. Do not mix things like no seatbelt and no helmet with alcohol and have a safety plan in place. Maybe you have a friend that can look out for you or maybe you have an adult around that can ensure your safety at that time. Those are those are kind of the best levels of prevention. Now, you had mentioned earlier in the podcast that people at this age, they are more inclined to participate in risky behavior. A lot of that has to do with social media trends. <laughs> Are oh, there any dangerous or is there any danger to following these social media trends? And also for us older people, my band director used to always smack us in the back of the head whenever we'd mess up. Is there <laughs> any harm in that? So one of the very interesting things about the brain is that it sits in a fluid, a clear fluid called cerebral spinal fluid. And because the brain also runs on its type of own electrical communication, it is a very well-organized network of interpretation and moving systems. What is interesting about very direct hits to the head, or even what I would describe as a, as a more significant contact sport, such as like boxing or a UFC, contact formats is the rotational effects of the brain are impacted in terms of how those nerves can be stretched. We call those axons. And you can see those specific nerves become injured during a direct hit or a rotational event. 
It also depends on the force that is applied. Uh, I, I maybe will apologize, but won't apologize. I am not on social media. So I am only aware of trends that do cause problems that make it into the clinic. And unfortunately, with trends that are shared in social media, a lot of times children and adolescents and adults do not realize that those are often staged or often created in an environment that is optimal for viewing. So the way that they are partaking and recreating the event may not be in the best interest of, of their safety. In terms of direct hits, I really can't comment on your teacher smacking you in the back of the head unless I knew how hard he hit. Uh, so... What we do now know about the brain is that if it experiences a fall greater than 15 feet, it tends not to do very well. But really, medicine, as well as environment, it is dependent on that individual. So you will see some adolescents who fall out of a pickup truck and they have no brain injury, and you will see adolescents that fall out of a pickup truck and have a significant brain injury. It very much has to do with what we call the velocity or that distance that is traveled over time in terms of that acceleration moment. Uh, and, and it can get a little scientific, but it would be best to avoid impacts to the head. Well, um, just so you know, and this is an aside, depending on how bad I messed up is how he, how he would hit me. <laughs> so what should we do if our child hits their head while they're away? And what do we do if they're with us? Mm -hmm. That's very important. That's an excellent question. If you are away uh, from a loved one and you hear that there has been an injury to the head, it is very important first and foremost to lay eyes on that person to actually see them. You will be the individual that knows them best, that knows their personality and knows how they interact with those around them. So again, you're looking for first and foremost, are they breathing? Um, if it is something that's significant, like a car accident, and you are running up there, are they breathing? Are they awake? Are they looking at you? Can they hear you? Can they say things to you? And at this time, you would decide what your next step would be. For those individuals where that you're away from, it's really important that you get a good history from anyone that's around you. Because statistically, individuals are not aware if they have lost consciousness in terms of a head injury and tend not to be really self-reliant in that way. So coming up to your loved one and saying, hey, did you pass out? Did you lose consciousness? They're actually not that reliable because they've just experienced an insult to the head. So it would be best to ask anyone that, that witnessed the event or happened to be with them at the time, what did you see? What happened? How was the head impacted? Because these are things that EMS and physicians will ask you uh, if you decide to seek out medical attention. 
In terms of being present with that individual, again, like we talked about before, that are they awake? Are they alert? Can they make eye contact with you? Those are some of the most important, very initial things that you would look at. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Man, yes. <laughs> um, I would just, you know, uh, as a physician, a lot of the message you know, being an adult and talking to children, but also as a parent, there really is utility in prevention. It may be the most uncool thing to wear a helmet on your side-by-side -side or four-wheeler or even your horse. The preventative care that happens in that moment is greater than anything we can provide medically after that happens. Don't drink don't smoke, anything. All of this affects the brain and it especially affects the brain in recovery. So I don't want anyone going through life thinking that they shouldn't do things that bring them joy, that, you know, maybe I wouldn't do like cliff diving or skydiving, but do the things that you want to do in the most safe manner because it is much easier to work to keep your brain safe than it is to put it back together. Well, thank you so much for this great information. It was great having you. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, Kay Williams, Tyler White, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>